Whether packing for a destination vacation or planning a staycation, Macy's has everything you need. Summer's almost here, and I'm so excited to take a trip with Bryn. We are planning it right now. We are heading to Macy's before we pack to grab new shoes we can wear all day with anything. I'm excited to lay in the sun with key pieces from Macy's, like my new Dolce Vita sandals and Levi's skirt. I am ready to relax and look and feel amazing. Oh, how good that sounds. Of course, I can't forget a new beach bag. I have been eyeing the collection of beach bags from Macy's, and I can't wait for you to see what I choose. Shop at Macy's.com slash own your style. Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond, but at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. The virus that causes shingles is sleeping in 99% of people over 50. While not everyone at risk will develop shingles, it strikes as a painful rash that can last for weeks. Wake up, because shingles could wake up in you. Ask your doctor or pharmacist about shingles prevention. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. I want to talk about something controversial that's been coming up more and more, which is Photoshop filtering, what we called in my day airbrushing. I don't know if magazines these days Photoshop or Facetune or what the terminology is now, but basically back when I was younger, it was magazines like Cosmo and Mademoiselle and Glamour and it would be controversial and a conversation that people would look at ads and they would say, well, I mean, she doesn't eat. Of course, they show these pictures. These girls don't eat, plus they're airbrushed, you know, but it was really not, we didn't really understand how that could possibly work because we didn't understand how the sausage got made. That was such a foreign concept. And years ago, I remember um, I was in a PETA ad that said I'd rather go naked than wear fur. And people were saying that it was totally airbrushed or photoshopped or whatever terminology we used 10 plus years ago. And I posted the real picture of my butt that day before what they posted, which really was not that much different. I mean, it probably was just smooth it out a little. It wasn't like it reduced it or padded it or anything. It was a very similar picture. And I felt the need to do that because I can understand how people are frustrated. They're living their lives, normal people that are attractive, that take care of themselves, that work out, that take a picture and think that they can just post it. Normally, just take a picture and post it, which is what I often do. And I very often post myself in uh, stories just the way that I look. And then people will say, well, you've had tons of plastic surgery. I've had a breast lift and I get the occasional, not as often as I probably should, Botox. But um, years ago, I tried filler. Um, I don't do filler because um, it like bruises you and leaves spots in other places. So you can see if you look on my story, I'm sure when this airs, I'll show you my Sharpay forehead. Um, but I have not had plastic surgery. I have not had a nose job. You can look at my pictures from when I was young in high school, and this is my nose. And people, it makes people feel better to say, oh, well, you've had so much plastic surgery. And I get that, but I haven't. And when I take pictures of myself and post them on a beach, it's really my body in the bathing suit. And I can have a flat butt and, you know, my boobs, which did have a lift probably 10, 12 years ago, do sag a little, but I like that because it means that they're more real and authentic. I don't really care what I look like. If I'm going to be in a magazine or if I'm paying to have hair and makeup and things are sort of quote unquote supposed to look good and then I don't look good, I get frustrated. But but believe me, even having hair and makeup on, I don't like the way that I look often because it becomes too sort of black mascara. And yesterday I had makeup on and then it ended up in the corner of my eyes and it feels sloppy and I just feel 
gross. I hate the feeling of hair and makeup. I really don't like it. It is what I consider to be a necessary evil uh, when I am working and when I'm getting paid, but also because you're now competing with so many people that are really taking this to the next level with the filters and the contouring and the airbrushing and all this stuff. So we're already competing with people who have ad nauseum plastic surgery, who can afford to have hair extensions, waist cinchers, plastic surgery, tummy tucks, breast lifts, uh, lash extensions, you name it, people can buy it. So then in addition to that, which is totally inaccessible to the majority of the population, in addition to that, now you have these filters. So now people are taking a picture of themselves. They can't afford plastic surgery and no cream in a jar is going to give you the same effect as plastic surgery, no matter how much people want to lie to you. Skincare is about consistency and health in your skin and not breaking out, but no one's going to make you look like you had a facelift with a cream. So don't ever believe that it's bullshit. In addition, you now look at people's pictures and they don't look like them. And you know it, but you love the picture. So you like it and you envy it and you aspire to it the way that you would diamonds or jewelry or something that really rich people have. So maybe it's not that different, but it's making people feel bad about themselves. And it's making younger women feel inferior and that they have to keep up. So as a mother of a tween, I don't want my daughter to feel that she has to keep up. I don't like the idea of her feeling bad about herself because she doesn't look like the pictures that she sees. And while much of this sexuality has been great in sexuality selling in, you know, curvier bodies being more in and people embracing their curves and having a bigger booty, et cetera, it's led to a lot of butt implants and fake hair and fake everything. And then people airbrushing or filtering or face tuning or whatever you call it, and getting caught. So then they get caught and it's like, so what are we presenting? If you're selling products that are about beauty and living your best life and looking better and you're showing yourself on a computer generated image, should there be a disclaimer that says this was retouched? So at least people will feel better about themselves. I want to know what you actually think about this because I was, I'm doing the Kelly Clarkson show and on the pre-interview the producer said, you show yourself like Kelly, just in no hair and makeup and, you know, with no filters or airbrushes or whatever you call it. And, you know, we appreciate that. And, and, and what, what do you feel about that topic? So it is a topic. So if I see everybody else with no black circles and everybody looking perfect and everyone's butt perky and high and no wrinkles whatsoever and all of that, I'm going to feel bad about myself and I'm not even vain. So what's it going to do to people that are vain and what's it going to do to young girls who are insecure about their bodies, battling with uh, not getting eating disorders, having body dysmorphia, going through the change, hormonal change, parts of our bodies growing and changing and feeling awkward about that. I just, I think there's a responsibility that people, especially who are in the public eye, have to accurate body image portrayal. That's how I feel about that. All right, so I do want to hear about what you think. Please message me. Please post on my Instagram. I just like to hear what you think about everything. Thank you. My guest today is Jamie Siminoff, the founder and chief inventor of Ring. He created the world's first Wi-Fi video doorbell while working in his garage in 2011. His company was acquired by Amazon in 2018, but he continues to innovate and remain at the cutting edge of home security. Today, we talk about the importance of taking a chance on yourself, how million-dollar ideas come from passion, and how hard work tilts winning in your favor. Jamie's story is incredibly inspiring, and I think you're really going to love this episode. Hello? Where are you? I'm in Los Angeles. So did you... um? Move there? Where did I see you? In Nantucket on the street? Yeah. And you had moved there, but wasn't it temporary? Is it now like full time or something was changing? So I'm, Los Angeles is where I live. Okay. And then we spent a ton of time in Nantucket this summer because obviously like there was nothing else to do. So. And so your business has always been based in LA? Yeah. Yeah, Santa Monica. So I met your wife and I met your son. Does yep. your Is your wife uh, a business person? She's uh, She makes movies. Oh, really? Yeah. Power couple. So that's the, she oh. did the... That's my movie posters. I'm in like the pool house where like all the movies posters are. So she had The Fault in Our Stars. Oh, wow. That was like her big movie. Wow, major. Um, 
Yeah, she did all the Alvin and the Chipmunks movies, which is like made money, but that's like less than, you know, like less exciting to talk about. And that's pretty exciting in my house. I've seen them all. Okay. Many well, times. Many times. Yeah, exactly. So I'm, I'm sorry. Through the show, which is about really success stories and mavericks, people who sort of done it their own way, non-traditional path to business, people that it's been like sort of a circuitous route and other people who may not be so traditional or could be corporate find sort of their own toolbox to business through the similarities, the commonalities through you and other people who have undeniably achieved success. But one of the things that we have that's sort of been uncovered here is relationship success. So you, how long have you been married? Uh, Don't put me on the spot on that one. Uh, I think it's in 2006. So is that 15 years? Okay, so a minute. Okay. Yeah. So you, and I didn't, I didn't remember that your wife was um, also like undeniably successful. So how do you balance whose turn it is, who's where the fish are? Let's say that your wife had to move somewhere for her business, which you're in LA, so that wouldn't really necessarily happen. But let's say she did, or you would have to move to Silicon Valley for some reason. How do you balance what's more important? There's never the time that everybody's lined up. So how do you work that whole program of having, and also just having time and not being sucked in? Because when two people are business people, all you do is talk about it and it gets annoying. So luckily, like, I mean, luckily the stuff she does is different enough from what I do that it doesn't like, we don't have that. We're not in the same sort of thing, which I think is actually like for me is helping because it's, we're different enough that we can talk about what we're doing, but it's not like we know each other's like other people in the business or something with it. She's been, I mean, incredibly supportive of me and like what I've been able to do. And I don't think you can do it. Like, I don't, it takes a village. Like it takes the people around you, I think, to be successful. And so like that support is huge. And then I do, you know, I like my son is the most important thing. And so to me, it like kind of works backwards from there. And what about like connectivity? Grant Cardone said something interesting to me. He said, I have to work on me. I can't work on you, meaning his wife. Like he works on himself. He's not going to work on her, which we often, when we're not feeling great or we're edgy, we might say to the person with us, we could be critical or you're doing that, you, you, you. And I thought that was interesting that he said that. I don't know. Like we don't. I don't think we've ever like thought about how we do this. Wow, that's good. Okay. Which is just kind of funny as you're saying this. I'm like, well, like maybe I should like put more. But we just kind of. I mean, I guess we made it work. I mean, it's like we're. we're I, I think it's good. Um, but but it's funny. I just yeah. I think we just kind of like. I mean, we talk like all day on thing. You know, like stuff and just kind of. Um, I've also always traveled from when I met. Like when I met her, I had a little business and was doing stuff. So I think we've always been in this sort of like we've kind of lived separate lives together where like we've never been like it wasn't like we were like this wrecking crew little couple like young and then like all of a sudden like started doing stuff like got it so maybe that's what it's like we just have always been like yeah that's a commonality that's exactly what jesse okay so that that's why i was digging for that because i'm finding that i may i may do another show about that successful you know the double entendre to successful relationships successful people having successful relationships so Yes. Just so you know, that's what I found, like people who really let you be you and some of my best girlfriends, because travel makes them con- more connected and travel makes it not insufferable and people being honest about. It. So anyway, that, that I just wanted to see. I think it's also like it's like not worrying about the optics of what people think you should be doing in your relationship is super important because like I remember people being like, you guys like you've been away for all this time. Like, how are you like? how is it working? And it's like, I, I don't, and then I'd be like, well, I don't know. Like it, it seems to be though. Like it seems actually great. That's a great point. Cause I'm long distance from Paul, but it works, but it's funny. Cause we were talking about Nantucket and I'm in the Hamptons a lot. And you also have to factor in your kids. We have two, we have different kids. So my daughter has needs and traveling back and forth isn't always working for her. And we were talking about that this morning. He's like, I have to work, you know, I have to work on not feeling bad if I'm somewhere and you're not there, what it would, what it would look like. It was so funny. We just had this conversation. Um, which, by the way, like I, I do like, I mean, Paul, good friend, but, uh, you know, went, went to college together for a little bit. But but, you know, very upset that uh, he did not ask his ring friend uh, for advice <sighs> before getting a ring. I mean, like I, I got it. I mean, I have to say, like, I'm a little little hurt on that. So, like, I'm coming in you know, a little hot to this thing. It's so funny because he did bring that up when I said I was interviewing. He said, all right, well, you'll have to ask him the expert on the ring, what he thinks about the ring. That's really funny. So, yes, you came up in this conversation. So, for everybody listening, Paul, my fiancé, and uh, Jamie are friends. And Jamie was also a shark on Shark Tank, as was I. So, we have 
you know, similarities in our path and being entrepreneurial. And we sat together at a wedding and you're very funny. So I'm assuming you're the peacock in your household um, as I am. So, all right. So let's get into what we really want to talk about, which is that was really what I do want to talk about. But let's talk about this, too. Uh, okay, so where did you grow up and, and have you always sort of felt like you were an entrepreneur, even though I didn't even know what an entrepreneur was until I was 37 years old. So were you hustling as a kid? Were you selling things? Were you doing bake sales and lemonade stands or things like that? I was doing everything as a kid you could do to make money. And I, it's funny, like looking back, it's amazing how clear things are when you look back, but how cloudy they are when you're in them. And so like everyone, like I was like hustling. I would do like, I would literally like, I would grew up in like kind of horse country in New Jersey. I would shovel the stalls out from people's horse barns on the way to school. I mean, any like hook and crook, I did everything I could do to like make money. And, and so I thought I was an entrepreneur. And so I then went to Babson, which is a great entrepreneurial school. And they like, I learned lots about being an entrepreneur and I got out and I started like businesses. And, but looking back, I was not an entrepreneur. I was an inventor. Like the, what I was really doing was I was in the basement 90% of the time that I had free time. I was in the basement in this one little room that had all my tools and all my RC cars and all this stuff. And I was just wow. build, I was building stuff. Like it's what it's, and to this day is what I love doing. Like I love tinkering. Like that is like my, my favorite place to be is just, it's why I like having like a boat because boats break all the time. Like I, I like everyone complains about that. Like that's what I like about the boat. Like I know it's going to break and I'll be able to fix it. That's amazing. I like houses for that. I don't well, I never want to really buy a house that doesn't have things wrong with it. It gets me aggravated and it becomes too much of a time suck project, but I'm sort of addicted to it because I just love to fiddle. I call it fiddling. So Paul will say when we go to the Hamptons sometimes, like I'll say to him like to want credit, like I really haven't fiddled that much today. Like I just need to be always organizing something, fixing something, repairing something. Thing. Not the same way as you. I'm not an inventor. I am an inventor of ideas, but not in that same way. But I relate to that sort of fixation that you have with that. Um, well, it was your pa- did your parents have money? Did they instill work hard in you, or we're not giving you any money, or is it just is it just innate? We were like middle. Cl- I mean, we were like I, I like we were middle class, but we weren't like certainly not rich. Okay. And my parents were pretty not like tight with money, but like tight with like giving me money for things I wanted. Mm-hmm. And so like I wanted to get a four wheeler, and they're like, "You're not getting a four wheeler." And I'm like, "I really want one, whatever." And then they're like, "Not getting one." So then I like worked and I bought a four wheeler. Um, like I I wanted a car. I was so like I was very independent. So like I had a I had a bike and I would bike everywhere. You know, before I had a license. And in New Jersey, like people live 10, 15 miles away. And I literally bike over to like a friend's house and the parents would be like, there's no way you biked here from where you live. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. I spent like the last two hours, you know, like, like I biked here. You like getting immersed in something. It sounds like you like to do something all the way and execute. I do. Yeah, I do execute. That is like, I think one of the lucky side effects in my brain or whatever is that inventors a lot of times don't execute. Um, like there's great, I, I, people email me all the time. I have this great invention, this great idea. And they, a lot of them, by the way, are great ideas and they hate my response, which is like, they want, like, how do I get this out? What do I do? And I'm like, just go do it. Freaking execute. Like, like you can do it. Like, like you, it, the power is in you and they hate that. They, they want the, like, Jamie Siminoff's going to come in and just like, you know, like, like kind of the shark tank thing. Like, they're going to like, just, I'm just going to like give them everything. And yeah. No, I know. But it's very difficult for many people. People have to really dig deep and go with their gut and find their gut and find their passion. But not everyone knows that. And that's very challenging. Hey there. Did you know that May is Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month? Macy's is celebrating by highlighting some cool AAPI-owned brands like Cardon, Kaja, Amelia George, and Hey Maeve. I mean, I love that a big brand like Macy's is supporting Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. It's important. But you know what? The best reason to check out these brands is that they're just really awesome. Seriously, you need to check them out. And you know what else? You have a great opportunity to open up access to college for AAPI students and help them succeed by donating to APIA scholars. APIA is the nation's leading nonprofit organization devoted to the academic, personal, and professional success of Asian American, Native Hawaiian, and Pacific Islander students. You can donate online or just round up your purchase at Macy's when you check out. So do what you can to help. Join Macy's and round up your purchase to the nearest dollar at checkout to support APIA scholars. 
Shop Asian American and Pacific Islander owned brands at Macy's.com or in store. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part time or full time. You name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy to use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Imagine a sharp, stabbing pain on your skin. Sounds like a nightmare, right? While individual experiences may vary, it's how some people describe shingles. This painful blistering rash could interrupt your life for weeks. It could even force you to cancel social events or weekend plans. Over 99% of adults 50 years or older already carry the virus that causes shingles. One in three people will get it in their lifetime. Why wait? Ask your doctor or pharmacist about shingles today. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com slash strategic. That's oracle.com slash strategic. oracle.com slash strategic. You knew you liked tinkering, so take me through this process, you probably had many jobs and then you you hit the jackpot or you created your own jackpot. I don't know how much of that was luck and how much of that was hard work. So I actually like, I mean, so, so I, I did like a bunch of little businesses and people were like, oh, you're a serial entrepreneur. That's like so cute. They like pat me on the head. And I'd be like, I'm not a serial entrepreneur. I'm a really frustrated person. Like I'm a frustrated human being. Like I don't want to be doing a thousand businesses. Like that's not fulfilling. I just can't figure out like, and I finally had like a midlife entrepreneurial crisis and I said, to, I said to my wife, I said, I'm going in the garage. I have a hundred, you know, hundreds of ideas written down on my phone in the notes thing. And I'm just going to start building them. Like I, I hate, I keep getting into these businesses, but I want to just like tinker. And I, I, I'm an inventor and I'm like, I'm done. I'm like, I'm, uh, so I literally like went in the garage. People thought I lost my mind. Were you financially secure or were you having noise and money, money noise? No, I mean, we, my, my wife was, you know, Aaron was making decent money, but like not enough to, for us to do that forever. Like certainly like I had to, you know, kick it up a notch. Did you feel, did you feel a certain way gender wise with your wife making more money than you did at that time? I never have had that. Like, you know, that that's good. And I think like true entrepreneurs don't, think of like they're the most diverse the most like because i think you like you don't have these like social structures of things that you think about because like you care about like getting an invention out doing it like you don't like like those other things sort of i think like i don't i don't know i don't see them as much like yeah you don't have time for that you're just like in the zone yeah like i want to go invent like great my wife works like that's awesome like good for us you know it's like <laughs> that's evolved you're, the simplicity in it is very evolved that's interesting so all right. So you're in the garage for two years and then. And we're doing like, I mean, I literally had like I did. I was trying to do these things called Snap Garden, which was like these growing tiles that would go on your patio. I'm sorry. I had all these tables out in our we had this tiny little backyard and all these tables that we were doing all these growing things. I mean, it looked like a pot farm. <laughs> um, it wasn't like it should have been. It would have been more profitable, but it wasn't. 
And um, so we had all this. I mean, like, I mean, like literally people would come over and they'd be like this, like your husband has lost. It's like you're going to work. This is like he's building gardening tables in your backyard. Like this is a disaster. You're like Christopher Lloyd in Black Back to the Future. It's, I mean, hopefully, yeah, like a little better More maybe attractive. looking. But yeah, yeah <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> um, and and so I couldn't hear the doorbell. And, and I'm in like my little garage and I can't, can't hear the doorbell. Like, and I'm like, I just got an iPhone and I went online and I looked for a Wi-Fi doorbell because I just, it had to exist. Like that's actually an, an interesting inventor thing is it's not, a lot of people think they've always invented something and it actually exists. I always think it exists. And then I'm shocked that it doesn't like it's, it's like almost the opposite. Same. I do the same exact thing. I know exactly what you're talking about. The obvious things. I mean, the low calorie margarita is the most obvious thing you've ever heard in your life. And I couldn't believe that no one had ever done it before. Yeah. And so like the Wi-Fi doorbell, I went to buy one. Like, I'm like, there must be a hundred, zero. No one like, it like just didn't exist. And I'm like, so I'm like, screw it. So I go in the, what do I do? Like I'm a tinker. Like I take a camera and a thing and I like put this thing together and I throw it on the front door so that I can hear the doorbell. Like it goes to my phone and I share the thing with, with my, with Aaron. And instead of her, like, I mean, this thing was horrible looking on the front door. Right. I mean, and like, you know, like the front door is like the entrance to the home and like we have this little home in the, you know, it's our little like starter home. And like, and instead of her kicking the thing off the side of the door, she's like, this makes me feel safer. This is your best, like best thing you've ever come up with. Stop. Which is almost like insulting to me because it wasn't an invention. It was like, I was just solving my problem for being in the garage. Right. Right. I know what you're saying. Like it was just solving a problem but while you worked on the other inventions. That Yeah. Like I had real inventions I was working on. Uh, I got some other shit I'm doing. Yeah. Okay. That's amazing. So when, how many years ago was that? 2011. Okay. So what happens next? So I still don't, it's, it's not an aha moment. Um, I end up kind of like playing with it, playing with other stuff. I finally get to this point where we like Kickstarter's going. And so we try to launch our own Kickstarter thing. We put it on the... That, that and then people started to like, you know, they started pre-buying it. And it was when I heard, so this, this like, I mean, like a couple of these stick out, but there was this one woman in like Stockton, California, which is like kind of north and like the kind of suburbs, like in the middle of California. And she emailed me and said, like, I bought this thing. It's so genius because my neighbor's house got broken into and we're, you know, I'm always away at the market or whatever. And like now if someone came and they rang the doorbell, I could act like I'm home and and like that would stop that. And I was like, and so I had thought it could do that. And my wife saying it made me think it could do it. My worry was that no one would realize it could do that. And the cost of marketing that would be too high. And when I saw that people actually like naturally saw the benefit, that was so like that email to me, like I still remember like where like sitting in the garage and, and being like, this could be something like, like people are seeing the value of it. Okay. I got it. And for people who don't know, explain what the function is. I'm sure it's evolved now because because of Paul, because of you, I have one on my back door, but I literally do not own a computer. I don't own an iPad. I don't know how to download anything. I am literally, I may as well have a Betamax, so don't get upset with me. I have zero music on my phone. I am just, I'm my own weird, like, nerd that's the opposite of you, just in other, like, old school ways. So anyway, I don't know exactly how to use it and what it exactly does. I know that Paul put it in there. Somebody put it in. I've seen it because I see the logo and it's very attractive. I don't understand exactly. So tell for the dum-dums like me, and we may have a lot of dum-dums like me, exactly what it was and what it is and what it does and what happened. So the, the first ring was it basically allowed you to deliver presents to your front door. So when someone would come, motion detection, or they'd press the doorbell button, you get an alert, and you could see and talk to who was at your front door. Okay. Okay. And so that was really the, like, and, and that was in, in home security, the interesting thing was that everyone else that was building devices for home security was building the opposite, which is someone breaks your door open and it tells you, you know, like an alarm. Like, so everything was sort of the to like the after, not the before. And so we sort of this idea of presence of being able to sort of interact with who's around your home was kind of like and, and that was like when my wife said this makes me feel safer, like that what the invention was the mission which became to make neighborhoods safer. Like that was, that's really like, it's not the doorbell or the physical product. It's like the mission of doing that created a whole line of products then that, that do that. I get it. The concept now. So are you, would you say that 
this is democratizing what security systems were. That's what you're the one who's pretty much democratized security, home security systems. I mean, certainly we, I mean, just the numbers show it. Like we, we have more security systems. I, I think that, I mean, like, you know, we're over 10 million households now. Um, so, I mean, like it's, it's, a, it's, it's definitely done that. And it's brought down the price points to sub hundred dollars to have, you know, what I would consider like good security things for your home that you couldn't access before. I mean, cameras, I mean, 10 years ago, there weren't camera systems were very expensive. And so we took like what was like on a high end home that maybe was, you know, literally $20,000. And now you're, you know, you can get the same exact thing for, you know, sub 500. It's amazing. How so so you did not have a partner. This is your own thing. I didn't. Yeah, I was the sole founder. So you were the sole founder. So you start selling these, I guess, online. You did get money from Kickstarter. Like, what's that process to get you to being purchased? And how do you make the decision? I've been in this situation, not for what I believe, like the, the numbers that you were talking about, but how do you make that decision to um, let go and realize, like, you're not going to take it the whole way and you're going to get swallowed in legal bills or whatever the hell that I was thinking because you have to at some point let go and, you know, you want the street cred and the presence of the deal to propel you. So how does that whole process work? So, I mean, you know, we, we started Kickstarter, get some money going, thought it was enough to get it actually going. It wasn't. I ended up like going deep in the hole with the thing. Um, you know, it, it was a pretty bad like so. And then Shark Tank, I, I get lucky to sort of somehow sort of all of a sudden I'm like on Shark Tank and I, you know, figure we're going to get money there. As a regular person. That's so funny that I was on The Apprentice as a regular contestant and then later you know, now I have my own show that's kind of, you know, picking a person to work for me and that you were on Shark Tank as a pitcher and then you became a shark. So that's very fascinating. Interesting. OK, so, yeah, you were on. I forgot you were on Shark Tank pitching this idea. And, and like I was legitimately out of money, needed money. Mark Cuban, I was certain was going to invest and was out in like within five seconds of me being out there, like after my pitch, like he was like, this is great. Why? He said he couldn't see it being big. I had the same experience. So that's really good for people to hear too, that you will hear no so much. You have to just dig down deep and know if you have a good idea. You're right. Who would think, of, you did not think of a billion dollar idea. You would never even dream that big. I mean, it's so funny because Jesse Itzler says, you know, why think you want to have a billion dollar idea and think about the end zone. I, I was like you, I just wanted it to be successful, make some money on it. But I think when you look at like the best businesses that have occurred over the last 20, 30 years, they've come like Uber, you know, like Garrett Camp starts Uber. He starts it because he can't get cars in San Francisco. And he's like a single guy. He's going out like he can't get like a car. And so he's like, he's a kind of a geek. And so he like, you know, creates this little app and does a thing for himself. And people thought it was tiny because like how many people need to get black cars on an app? Like what? Like the total black car business is only X. The total taxi business is only one. And so, you know, but then and. So Uber, you know, became a thing. So I think it is, but it's like, you have to have a passion for it. It sounds like you are. And it sounds like you're one of the few people that I've had here that I could probably say the percentage of you being lucky is a lot smaller than you being smart. And I'm counting passion and drive and all that in it. Would you agree? So I, I do look at luck as a, like the lottery and every hour of work you put in, you get another ticket and you're never guaranteed to win. But if you put like more and more hours in, you're going to get more lottery tickets. And at some point, like you are tilting the, like in your favor, the chance of winning. But I think like I mean, there's so many things that almost went wrong. I mean, right when we were selling uh, to Amazon, like right before that, we almost tanked the business. Um, like literally, like I mean, like like the difference was like 60 days of how do I have to sell my house and what, what can I get? to like signing a term sheet with Amazon to sell it for over a billion dollars. I get it. I get what you're saying because people during the pandemic, if they can just find a way to survive, they will, this could be a gold rush and they will thrive. But there's, a day could make the difference. A week in a business right now can make a difference between failure and utter success. Like it's literally black and white. Yeah, you could literally be open. Everything could be open next week. Like, and it's like, you just made it another week. And so I, but that's to me, that's luck. I mean, it's not, you can't, fault someone like if we had gone under like it is what it is but you know then you just keep working harder and harder and what i did is like i went on qvc and i saw i was like literally i mean to like almost i mean you, you do the same thing like i don't think people realize how hard it is to do that like that live tv selling is like it's like it's like donating blood it is so hard it's crazy you're selling for you're set you're you i'll say to myself it's been four i could be in like california right now in an airplane i've been talking for hours in a row. Yeah, you, it's crazy. I know. 
like it's, but like I, I went on like when the things were at their worst and I'm like, we need to sell, like I'm on there and I am just like drinking, I'm drinking Red Bull and tea, like tea for my throat, Red Bull for like the thing. And I'm like, I mean, it's, it's just, I know it's crazy. Well, you, you have that you got, and people have to know whether you're a corporate person or whether you're a maverick, neither is wrong. You could be successful in both, but some people don't have that thing where they just are hungry in that way. You're in the zone. No one else understands it. And so know if you are, know if you don't, because to be an entrepreneur, you have to have that. It's just, that's the one thing you have to have that there's no, no. And that drive and you have no reason to know that yes is going to happen. No, no, no reason. You didn't go through four years of law school and then you, or three years and then you get to be a lawyer or four years and then you get to be a doctor. You, you could be at zero after five years of doing the same shit in your garage. So you got to have that blind faith. Hey there. Did you know that May is Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month? Macy's is celebrating by highlighting some cool AAPI-owned brands like Cardon, Kaja, Amelia George, and Hey Maeve. I mean, I love that a big brand like Macy's is supporting Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. It's important. But you know what? The best reason to check out these brands is that they're just really awesome. Seriously, you need to check them out. And you know what else? You have a great opportunity to open up access to college for AAPI students and help them succeed by donating to APIA scholars. APIA is the nation's leading nonprofit organization devoted to the academic, personal, and professional success of Asian American, Native Hawaiian, and Pacific Islander students. You can donate online or just round up your purchase at Macy's when you check out. So do what you can to help. Join Macy's and round up your purchase to the nearest dollar at checkout to support APIA scholars. Shop Asian American and Pacific Islander-owned brands at Macy's.com or in-store. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Imagine the feeling of pulsing electric shocks. Sounds like a nightmare, right? While individual experiences may vary, it's how some people describe shingles. This painful blistering rash could interrupt your life for weeks. It could even force you to cancel social events or weekend plans. Over 99% of adults 50 years or older already carry the virus that causes shingles. One in three people will get it in their lifetime. Why wait? Ask your doctor or pharmacist about shingles today. Boricua is the name for someone from Puerto Rico or Puerto Rico. My accent's not the best, but I'm trying. But I know Puerto Rico well. I've been there so many times. I Be Strong has done so many missions after Hurricane Maria. It is more than just a name. It is a way of life and representation of the vibrant spirit of the island. The unique Bariqua spirit infuses the island's culinary landscape with a one-of-a-kind passion and point of view unlike anywhere else. I love Puerto Rico. I've been there twice in the last year. In Puerto Rico, you'll taste the influence of Spanish, African, and native Taino traditions, sometimes all in the same dish. Puerto Rican chefs and restaurants put their passion into every bite. Puerto Rico is an excellent destination for food, which may not be a well-known fact. Whether it's a five-star restaurant or local favorite spot, no one does food like Puerto Rico. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. What did you honestly think of the experience on Shark Tank? 
It was amazing. I mean, it was, you know, like it, it made my sort of career. It gave us credibility and awareness. It was, it was, I mean, it was a huge moment. Like it was like, as a, I would say it's like a, a, a you know, a, a amateur athlete going to the Olympics. Like, like that's what it felt like, you know, it was like that kind of credibility that it gave you going on shark tank as someone who like went on and then built the largest company ever to go on. And then being like, that to me is like unreal. Like it literally is like an out of body experience. So that was the number one thing, like not a cover of a magazine or whatever. That was the number th one thing in your career so far that has really said, wow, the emperor has clothes. Yeah, I'd say, and maybe even like by, by a lot because I, I don't like goals because they, again, they create ceilings. And, and I would say like, if I had gotten, you know, when I was about to go on Shark Tank, if I had said to you, oh, hey, I'm going on Shark Tank next week. And guess what? I'm going to be so successful that I'm going to come back and be a shark. You'd be like, this guy is smoking, like, like this guy's out of his mind, like, like walk before you run, kid. And so you never set goals that are like as high as what you could actually achieve. 100%. That's a full circle moment and you'll have more. But I get that, too, because I've had some crazy stuff happen. And I had a similar experience only because I was on The Apprentice with Mark Burnett. And that's the first time I saw him since I was just a regular broke person in a studio Ikea furnished apartment. And the first time I saw Mark Burnett since that experience was at that press thing for being a shark. And I, he was like, we both were freaked out. We're just like, this is a full circle moment. So I, I, it's good to cherish those moments. It's good to really be humbled by things like that. It's nice that you feel that way because those are the best things. They don't, it's not money. It's not, it's not you deal with Amazon, which is insane. But it's those moments that you're like, I'm real. It's real. It's got to be real. And I think it goes into what you were saying about like the pushing and going past the nose and everything is like people see that. And I think they think that it's something that like maybe that you or I have that they don't have. And I think what it is, is when you find your passion, you are not willing to take no. Like if if you believe in something, you're not willing to take no. And so I think the problem is a lot of times when you're a mercenary and you're transactional, and you're like, I'm going to do this business to make a million dollars. Like that's not something that like you're going to push through a no. You got to be like, it's, it's like you do it because like you have that, just that you, like you love what that is and you need to win at it and you need to do it and you need to like, you're doing it for someone else or something else. And like, it's like, that's the, yeah. It's like building blocks. You're just doing one thing that you love executing and then you get to the next thing. I, I, that that's, some people have a different style, but I, I, I relate to what exactly what you're talking about. Have you, um, so how did you know how to when to hold him, when to fold him, how much to keep in the deal, how to do the whole thing. Like, and who, and did you ever meet Jeff Bezos? Does he think that you're great? Like, what's that whole getting a call from Amazon or how did that whole thing go down? So the, it took a while. I mean, we had been working with them and doing stuff like, because we had the video and they had the audio with Alexa and they wanted to like, so just as a business, we were like working with them over time. I loved their culture. Like they, their culture felt very, like Jeff calls it day one, like very entrepreneurial. Um, I like, I, I love what they were sort of doing, uh, the people there. So I really liked it. And I'd always joke with them and say like, listen, if I, I don't want to ever sell this. If I ever do sell it, like I will, I'll sell it to you. Like I, oh, I and they would just like laugh, like not like trying to whatever. And then. And who are you talking to about this? Who are you saying this to? It was like uh, this guy, Dave Limp, who's now my boss, who runs all devices, um, just like some of the execs there and stuff. I would just, you know, just kind of say it like, you know, I like you guys are awesome. I'd love to be part of this. And we'd always kind of laugh. And then the one of the corp dev people came down. The corp development is like who buys companies in inside of big companies. And he said, I'll have lunch. And so, like I'd been, you know, I'd seen these people all the time. So it wasn't like crazy. We go, we sit down, have lunch. And he said, like, listen, I think it's time. And I'm like, it was like one of those like really awkward dating moments, which I have not been part of for a very long time, but so I didn't know what to do. Put a ring on it to put a ring on it. Yeah. And so like trying not to just jump over and be like, yes, you know, like, let's do this. Like, cause I, I did like, then he, I wouldn't like, he'll say like time for us to, you know, I don't know, like go have another meeting. Like I, I like, and so, so it ended up, yeah. I mean, so then that was the start of the thing, you know, and it you know, took a couple months and it was, um, it was crazy as all deals are. Yeah. I, I don't know how any deal gets done. Like having done them on the inside, the outside, having now bought like stuff, it's just, there's so many intricacies and emotions and it's my belief that deals get done when they're jammed up and they're not getting done. You get on the phone and you really hammer it out. And I'm not against lawyers. A lot of people are against lawyers, but I just don't think they know how to communicate like people because everything's about kill or be killed. And they don't want their clients to fucking come after them when they don't hammer down a point. Right. And you often get on with the person. I just did a deal, a great deal with iHeart and I had to get on the phone with them. Just like, let's talk this through. Willing to give that, willing to not give that. Let's do this. Okay. Meet in the middle on that. You really want that. Okay. Well, I really want this. And then 
it usually can work out, but you can get screwed up if you're just listening to other people. Don't assume other people are smarter than you. I think that's a big one, you know? So what, what, uh, what is your function now? Like, what is your title? Obviously they wanted you. They didn't want it without you. You are it, you run it. You are the mastermind behind it. So what are you? So I, I still, I, I've called myself at Ring the chief inventor from now the beginning. So I've always been, I, I kind of made up my own title, chief inventor. I, I don't, I'm not an operator. I never have been. And so it was part of like, again, my success was not trying to tell my team, Hey, I'm an operator. I'm a CEO. I'm a president. Like, and there are people that are that I just, I'm just not. And so I'm still the chief inventor at Ring, you know, super busy, like running it, focused on it, still doing it. It's now been over three years since the purchase and we've been growing and delivering great products and still inventing crazy stuff, which is super like that's my passion is like getting into the product. So like after this, I'll be on calls all day going into like issues with why a sensor on our drone is not functioning the way it should and figuring that out. So I like to geek out on all that stuff. So you're doing what you love. Does your son like it? My son, yeah, he's, I mean, he's 12. So he's kind of like, you know, he's a 12 year old. He likes basketball, football, those kind of things. But, but uh, we just, we actually just in Nantucket, we got this little uh, coffee shop now. And so he's, he's really excited about like working. Like he's been like doing the cash register and stuff at the coffee shop for business. That's his thing right now is like the, the coffee shop, which is, which is fine. I think that's, that's great. What's it? I might, can you tell me which one? Cause I saw you outside of, yeah, it's called, it's called handlebar handlebar Nantucket. It's like a little, little coffee shop uh, just off of main street. I'm excited. Okay. So I don't want to keep you that long. You're very busy. So how has two questions and that's it. So about home security during the pandemic, what the trends and the data says, and then also about how important e-commerce has been during this pandemic and what would have happened to your business in your mind if you didn't have a really strong e-commerce presence? Because a lot of people here, I I am really trying to drill into them to really gear up their e-commerce. And even myself, I just launched my own marketplace because I had not had a great presence, to be honest. And, And it was like I was a dinosaur and it takes a lot of work and you have to have it down pat, but it's really important. And for you, it seems like it comes easy because you're a tech guy, but for other people, it's not that easy. So I wanted to talk about the pandemic and e-commerce. The pandemic, obviously, for people that were affected by it, I mean, there, it, there's people that have just been just businesses wiped out. I mean, lost loved ones. So like, I think like you can't gloss over that. Um, from our side as a business, you know, certainly tough to go through. I mean, customer service had to go virtual within a few days. Um, you know, thousands of people had to like, you know, go from being in an office to out. So it was a lot of that kind of stuff and proud of the team being able to sort of make all through that without sort of losing anyone in the process in terms of like customers or anything that's happening. Um, people did focus on their homes during the pandemic. Um, you see it in Home Depot stock. I mean, like people upgraded things. And so there was a lot of that going on. And home security is definitely a part of upgrading the home. So we did see a lot of that uh, over the last, you know, 12 months. And then e-commerce, to your point, I mean, I think you, to me, I mean, e-commerce is part of like controlling your own destiny. Um, and so being able to reach customers in sort of somewhat of a direct manner, whether it's marketplace on Amazon or doing your own shop or going into, you know, retailers, like, but I think you want to, you want to be where customers are in sort of all of those places. And certainly, I mean, e-commerce became critical over the pandemic. And I think we'll see interesting trends from that as now people are like, like my mother-in-law never really bought stuff online. Um, now she's, you know, like she's an Amazon, like I think there's an Amazon box there every day. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, I do think that the pandemic has taught us things that we're so in shock right now that we can't really utilize them or understand how insanely important they've been. But later when the dust settles, people were really just having, just walking through New York City and seeing people that have complete outdoor restaurants. Like it looks like yeah. they built entire homes outside and it's just, you're proud of them for just being like, I got to deal with this. I got to put heaters in. I got to make it real and through a winter. And like, that sounds impossible, but there are so many impossible things that will be possible. So my hope is that it, my my hope, like if there's like one really great thing that comes out of it, my hope is that the kids that were taken out of school and forced to go on zoom, that for them, it will democratize how they're able to get information that they've learned now this way of getting information that's broken apart from sort of this institution of the school and I really hope that that allows kids to sort of find again, like their passion, find that like be able to sort of like break that open more, um, especially in areas where they weren't exposed to as much of that. And so that's like my my if I have a hope that in 10 or 15 years, we'll see that this generation actually 
has amazing things that come from them because of this, not hurt by just being out of school. I agree. My daughter started eating salad. She started using these like plastic chef knives for kids and cutting up and making her own salad and doing insane art, like books and books of art. So you're right. Like it's, there is a place of yes in it. It's just hard for people who can't afford to live to think about that. But for the people that, you know, are listening that have businesses, there is hope on the other side. Do you have um, like a mantra or any sort of thing you want to say to just close it out? Not a mantra. You know, I think having a mission that does something good for people is like, like to me, that's like my macro. Like if anyone asks me like, how do you do this? Or how do you get successful? I'm like, just have a mission that does something good for people. And it doesn't mean like you're literally saving children. Like, you know, it could be like you're feeding people, you're giving them better coffee. Like it doesn't have to be like a, but, but do something that you really feel like is sort of making the world better. And when you do that, I think everything kind of starts to fall in. I like it. And it's true. Yeah. You could do two things at the same time. You can make money and also solve a problem and help some people too. Well, I know that you're so busy and I'm so appreciative of your time. And I really thank you for being here. It's exciting. Well, thanks for having me and congrats on the engagement. Thank you so much. Thank you so much from the ringmaster himself. So Jamie was amazing. He started his business in his garage. He's an inventor. He's an interesting person. He started from the bottom and he took a chance on himself. And he's a person who realizes it really does take a village. And that means working with and having a partner in your life who really backs you up and supports you in work and in all areas of life. And the best ideas come from finding a hole in the market, something that you would actually use and making it yourself and then hustling like none other. Passion, drive, and determination. So if you like this episode, share this with others. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe. Thank you. Just Be is hosted and executive produced by me, Bethany Frankel. Just Be is a production of Be Real Productions and iHeartRadio. Our managing producer is Fiona Smith and our producer is Stephanie Stender. Our EP is Morgan Lavoie. To catch more moments from the show, follow us on Instagram at Just Be With Bethany. So Puerto Rico is a beautiful place. It's a lush island. It's great for surfing. It's got a culture. Like you feel like you've really gone somewhere far and you don't need a passport, which honestly I do really enjoy. It's a beautiful island. The people are amazing. The food is amazing. The water, the beaches, the vibe. It's a great place. It really is. In Puerto Rico, you'll taste the influence of Spanish, African, and native Taino traditions, sometimes all in the same dish. Puerto Rican chefs and restaurants put their passion into every bite. Puerto Rico is an excellent destination for food, which may not be a well-known fact. Whether it's a five-star restaurant or local favorite spot, no one does food like Puerto Rico. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeartRadio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. 
Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club.